Welcome to the Be Real Podcast. I'm Diana Gasparoni. I'm a visionary psychotherapist, CEO, and founder of Be Well Psychotherapy and Be Her Programs. I am Ednisha Salisbury. I am a therapist, speaker, trainer, and co-creator of Black Woman Be Whole. Each week, we will talk about the journey of mental health wellness. We will talk about why your mental health is just as important as your physical health and the connection that being mentally well has on all areas of your life. We will be interviewing psychotherapists, doctors from both Eastern and Western disciplines, authors, change makers, thought leaders, and more. Our mission is to bring you information that is both thought provoking and encourages you to look closer at your mental and emotional well-being. We give you tips and insights to taking the next steps. If you have already gotten into the door, we'll get you to go a little deeper. Each week, we're going to have real conversations, helping you work through your mental wellness questions and reminding you that you are not alone. Mental wellness is our passion. We practice what we preach. It is our mission to touch as many souls as we can with this content and leading you to a place of mental clarity and well-being. So for the next hour, let's work together, lay back on the couch and get real. Hello, Anisha, it's me, Diana, getting ready to start our our day here at Be Real. I'm here. I'm always ready to start the day. I haven't been getting any sleep, but I'm still ready to start the day. It hasn't changed. As always, I'm excited to be here with you. I'm Um, excited to be here with you too. So, you know, we're in the 30s now, episode-wise. I don't know. I think that this this is episode 31 one or 32 or something. Wow. I know we're cruising. We're still having fun, still kicking it every week together, digging that. Mm-hmm. But who's been your favorite guest so far? I so, mean, they're all great. I believe my favorite. Yes. Yes. I Well, my favorite guest slash topic was um, we talked about sex. <laughs> Um, for a couple of different reasons, right? Like let's 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 get that out there, right? Mm-hmm. So for a time, I have been thinking about being a sex therapist, right? So mm-hmm. that's a big thing. So um, to talk to another sex therapist was pretty cool, and that's one topic that yeah, I'm not embarrassed to talk about. I'm not embarrassed to talk about it in the room of my clients either, which I love because I think that some therapists there's some restrictions on what they're comfortable talking about. And I'm comfortable mm-hmm. talking about everything. And I think my clients really appreciate that. We talk about sex. And so when she came well, on, <laughs> it's funny because I don't, I am not inhibited in the room talking about sex, but when Andrea was here and we were talking about sex, Ooh. I was like, maybe it was because we were at, I don't know. I, I, Cause it was a different role for me. You were a mess. It was, I was I, a mess. it was funny. It was funny. It was, it was so funny. funny. <laughs> I can't lie. I was a little squirmy, uncomfortable. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, and our producer keeps bringing it up. He is never going to let me forget that I called sex applesauce so that I could say it in a <laughs> sentence in case my mother was listening. I mean, eventually you think you're going to get over these things, but no. And I love that Andrea Dresser. Yes, <laughs> we do. We do. We. <laughs> I do love them all. So let me see. So far, you know, I have to say, the fangirl in me is going with Alex L. I yeah. mean, she that was, was a good one, though. That was a, that good, was a good one. one. That was a good one. Yeah. She was like right in there. Like she just hung out with us. She climbed into that closet. <laughs> she just. Close the door so her kids couldn't find her. That was really fun. We had fun on the breaks too. Like 
I think that like she was just super down to earth. I got her book this week, came in the mail. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. She did not lie. She told us she put out a beautiful book and that is like physically a beautiful book. So that was super It is exciting. on my list. Yes. Um, let me see. There's been some, you know, your friend Michael got some, a lot of, a lot of attention. Yes. He's always, he's amazing. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have fun when my friend Brian came on. That was pretty cool because I got a chance to talk to him a little bit more leading up to it. And we live in different states. So that was nice that we got a chance to talk a lot more than we normally do. This has been a, this has been a journey, right? Cause we've done all of this during the pandemic. I know. I know. I wonder if we'll do it any differently when we're not in a pandemic. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if we're like, we've got this whole thing set up. We're at home. We have this thing. Like maybe we won't do it any differently. Who knows? But we just brought up, like, I'm thinking like we haven't had that many dudes. No, we, we, we have not. Um, maybe, maybe that, um, needs to be something that we have to think more about, right? Researching more dudes. We might have to be on the show research some more dudes that are going to be on the show but on today's show we have a dude we do look at that <laughs> and just like look, that he appears and just like that <laughs> Woo! look at that today we have a dude um yes and we should not we definitely should not I don't want to use the word discriminate but we shouldn't cut them out I mean men have a lot to bring to the table and I think when it comes to mental um, mental health and uh, spiritual health and physical health. I think um, the conversation can be more feminine, but that men men need to hear from us too. Yeah. So tell us about our dude. All right. So guys, his name is Faris Fockery. He is a physical therapist and neurological rehab setting. The special reason that he's here is because he is the author of The Happiness Perspective, which is being published in December of this year. And so we are excited to hear more about The Happiness Perspective and um, his work with his clients. So Diana, what's that thing that you like to say before we get started? Sit back, grab your tea and have a listen. As you know, I am a huge supporter of therapy, and if there was ever a time to prioritize your mental well-being, it's now. As the founder of Be Well Psychotherapy, I am proud to announce my team is leading the way in online therapy. Be Well is based in New York City, and we were one of the first practices to pivot to online therapy with the outbreak of COVID-19. With over 15 licensed therapists, Be Well offers a variety of methodologies and approaches so you can select a therapist that is a good fit for you. We help individuals of all ages, including kids, teens, couples, and wait for it, we even have online group therapy. There is no need to struggle alone with feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, or loss. To learn more, visit BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, that's one word, to 484848 to get connected with a therapist today. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, one word, B-E-W-E-L-L to 484848 to get connected to a therapist today. And now back to our amazing show. Hi, and welcome back to Be Real. It's me, Diana Gasparoni, and my girl, Anisha Salisbury. <laughs> there she is. She's rolling up I'm slow, but she's here. here. She's always <laughs> here with me by my side. 
very exciting. I'm really excited today that Ferris is with us. Ferris, why don't you jump right in and tell us who you are and give our listeners a little bit of an overview of you. Thanks for, the, for having me on, first of all, Diane. I really appreciate it. Um, so my name is Ferris Vakori. I am a physical therapist. And just to give you guys a little bit of backdrop in terms of how I sort of got to be a PT, I was born and raised in New Jersey, true Jersey boy at heart. Uh, I went to undergrad at Villanova University. And when I first got to Villanova, I um, wasn't too sure what I wanted to do. And then being fortunate enough to sort of be involved with sports my whole life, I decided I got hurt and then I am uh, in college and then I uh, ended up going to physical therapy. Um, and then probably my sophomore year of my undergrad work, I figured out that I wanted to pursue a career in PT after having gone myself. And then I was actually a psychology major and just took all the prerequisites to go to PT school. I went to PT school. It was university. It was UMDNJ at the time. Um, University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. It has now sort of transitioned to Rutgers. And one, when I was in school, I really, you know, decided to pursue a career in physical therapy, thinking I wanted to be involved with sports somehow, just having been around sports my whole life growing up. And once I got to PT school, it's a three-year program. You do rotations in different settings. And I did one of my rotations at the current hospital I currently work at. It's a neuro setting. When I was going through my schoolwork, I hated neuro. I had no interest in sort of pursuing that sort of area of physical therapy. And when I did my rotation, um, I work at a rehab hospital in West Orange, New Jersey called Kessler. I just fell in love with it and it just kept calling me back. And once I graduated from PT school, I ended up, the timing worked out perfectly and I ended up working. I've been there since I graduated from PT school in 2012 and I've been there eight years. So I treat all neuro rehab. So I treat individuals who've had pretty life-changing injuries People who've had strokes, brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, um, amputations, and sort of that's the work life that I'm in right now and sort of where I'm at. I love the overview. And I also think that for me coming in I f into this conversation tonight, one of the things that I forget is how, where physical therapists are in relationship to all different parts of your physical health while... Mm. Like I think of it as like, oh, I hurt my, I hurt my knee in yoga or what, like, like, I think that was the last time I was in PT or like in relationship to some sort of physical training and that it is everywhere across the boards as you are like, cause the body and getting back the body and the mind into one into shape, they're all in different points. And so I was super excited when I saw that you were working in with neuro patients and also what your message is out in the world. So I'm going to read it because I know that I, sure. I love it, right? So it's very powerful. The powerful of the mind-body paradigm and how it impacts recovery after stroke, spinal cord injury, amputation, brain injury, and how happiness despite the hand life deals, how to find happiness despite what the hand life deals us. Yeah. Uh, there's so much in there that I want to start with, but I do want to start with the actual one-on-one -on -one work that you do with the patients. So what do you see them? I guess you see everything, but what do you see the most of? The patient population that I treat, uh, just to backtrack a little bit um, and sort of diving into the sort of the book and my journey in the book the past year is 
it's very exhausting and fatiguing for me. So like this whole thing started a couple of years into my career. I was just journaling and writing things down just to get things out of my head because it was kind of depressing to be honest. And like dealing with this patient population was a lot for me to handle. And especially the patients who were sort of more my closer to my age and seeing how family members were dealing with it, seeing how um, the patients themselves were dealing with it. So the majority of the patients I treat are amputees because that's just the program I run and I, which I love to treat, but anybody who's had a traumatic brain injury, spinal cord injury, um, stroke, multiple sclerosis, pretty much anything affecting the brain and the spinal cord I treat, but the majority of my patients that I treat about 50% of my caseload are amputees, um, individuals teaching them how to use their prosthesis, their fake legs, um, and mm -hmm. teaching them how to use it. So that's the majority of the patients I treat. So we're going to talk about the patients, then we're going to talk about how you take care of your own mental health as we move along. Sure. So obviously this is physically overwhelming and traumatic on so many different levels, individually with your, in the world, with your families. What I, I can't imagine that you see like when people first wake up, they're like, oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. So <laughs> what is, um, what is that like in the, inter in the initial conversation? Cause like from where Anisha and I sit, people come in to talk about those feelings already. Like they've already, but like, they're just waking up for the first time with those feelings. Right. I imagine. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so thankful. Like one of the things I touch upon in my book, which obviously we'll talk a little bit more about it, is like, just like reflecting. And I'm so thankful that I was a psychology major because a lot of what I do, yes, I'm a physical therapist, but a lot of what I do is just being there to listen to people when, you know, when they want to just talk and especially when they're going through such life-changing injuries and events. So just, I'm so thankful as I sort of reflect a little bit more, taking this journey and writing my book that I was a psychology major and people, you know, when they first sort of are going through this. So just to backtrack a little bit, I'm in the outpatient setting. So the patients who I treat are a little bit further along in the continuum of their care. So if someone has a stroke, for example, a traumatic brain injury, they go to the acute care hospital, get treated for, get medically stable, and then they will most likely go, depending on how bad their injury is, to an acute rehab hospital where they're not safe enough to go home. They still need to be monitored medically, but they are able to tolerate some intense physical therapy, three hours a day of therapy. So that's the setting I'm in currently. Once they get discharged from acute inpatient rehab, um, where they're getting the three hours of therapy, that's really the environment is set up just to get patients safe with being able to get as independent as possible. So transfer sounds silly to us, but like sitting up in bed, transferring from their bed to the wheelchair, rolling in their wheelchair, being able to navigate a little bit and try to get as independent as possible. And family training is a big part of that. We're talking about patients who are unable to walk anymore, unable to move in bed by themselves. So once I see them in outpatient, they're sort of further along in their rehab and their recovery. So I see them two or three times a week. They go home, they come to therapy for their schedules a lot of times. So I'm a little further along in their recovery, but just the psychological impact that it has on these patients is I see it all from people who are so gung-ho and that sort of relish the opportunity to overcome whatever trauma they've sort of experienced. And some people are just completely checked out. They have no interest in being in therapy. They're only going because their family and their loved ones are sort of forcing them to go. So that was really going back to my point about like me 
writing things down journaling things. It was a lot for me to handle. And then I started noticing that some patients who were able to sort of demonstrate certain characteristics were able to unlock their happiness and their recovery a lot quicker than other, a lot of my other patients. So that was sort of why I wanted to take this journey and sort of writing my book over this past year. And sort of that's the genesis of me wanting to write the book. Um, what did um, you, oh, go ahead, Anisha. <laughs> no, I was just thinking as I listened to you, I realized how much time you are spending with these people, a relationship with them. Are most of them in therapy, in psychotherapy? Some are. Some are recommended to go to therapy and some want mm-hmm. nothing to do with therapy. So I am, like I said, I spend like an hour, hour and a half with each patient two or three times a week. And like you said, I cultivate these relationships. They open up to me. And oftentimes I feel like I am part of that healing process. I always recommend and try, but at the end of the day, it's really on them. You can't, you have to want to change where you have to want to be engaged in something as much as I recommend or tell them. So it's, it's a mix. Some people are very invested in trying to go and try to heal themselves in every aspect of their lives. But some people are just so checked out that, you know, they have no interest in doing any uh, behavioral therapy or psychological help or anything like that. It is the thing, right? We can't ask, we can ask people, we can bring them, but can we get them to drink the water? Absolutely. Um, what were the, some of the key characteristics that you found across your patients that, that you noticed were the most the, one, the ones that got them to like get up and go. Yeah. So I highlight four main things um, in my book and I include personal stories and then some stories from my patients. And then just like uh, some, I've interviewed a lot of people and then some secondary interviews with more famous people who I couldn't get a hold of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the first, the first thing, the first uh, sort of thing that I noticed that helped my patient unlock their happiness is turning apathy into altruism. So oftentimes people are so disengaged and have no interest or purpose in life anymore. So those patients who are able to turn that apathy into sort of taking the spotlight off of them and helping other people, getting involved in support groups, communicating and interacting with people in the community, different different events. Um, I've noticed people pivot and sort of shift their perspectives into helping them unlock their happiness. So apathy into altruism was one chapter that I talk about in my book, turning grief into gratitude. So I see it every single day. Patients are expressing, oftentimes they're seeing other people worse than them, but they're expressing how grateful they are down the line, of course, of their recovery and how when they walk into the gym, they're seeing someone who is maybe walking with a walker and they're able to walk with a cane or someone who's in a wheelchair and they're walking with the walker. So people who are able to sort of turn their grief and it varies for everyone in terms of how long they're in those, the stages of grief, which I talk about a little bit in my book too. It varies for everyone, but turning grief into gratitude. And then the third thing is it's okay to have moments of weakness, but not letting it turn into a mindset. We're going to have bad days. You're going to have days where you want to give up, but don't let it fester into a mindset of weakness where you're constantly stuck in that sort of um, mindset. Because as we know, the mind and body paradigm is so interconnected. And the more we're sort of stuck in that mindset, it's going to affect our bodies and the abilities for our bodies to heal physically too. And then the last thing is 
it's talks of, I talk about like really trying to enjoy the process versus the final product of what the goal is that the patients are trying to get to. Oftentimes people will come to my patients. The first questions they'll ask me is when will I be able to walk normally again, or be normal or do things the way I was. And the four things that I just mentioned, I, I believe transcend physical therapy, physical rehab, um, and are very applicable to like our daily mindsets and struggles that we all face. Obviously not the extent of the patients I see, but I think something that we need to do a better job of is really focusing on the process versus the final product, whatever goals we're trying to achieve or aspire to achieve, because I feel like as soon as we sort of lose sight of the present moment, that's when anxiety sort of kicks in and we start thinking about things that we can't control. And I think that's one of the biggest sort of problems that our society has in general. So those are the four things I talk about. And then I also talk about just to backtrack a little bit as a physical therapist, we have, you know, over 600 muscles in our body. And I argue in my book that one of the biggest things that we, that my school failed in sort of teaching me is the most important muscle, which is our happiness muscle. And just like our normal muscles in our body, we have to sort of do a lot of different things to sort of get our muscles stronger. Diet is important. It's running, stretching, strength training, yoga. So if we're able to f- sort of feed our happiness muscle in different areas and different realms, um, which I sort of talk about as well, I think that's the key for happiness. Happiness is not a final destination, in my opinion. And with some of the research that I sort of talk about, I don't think happiness is a final destination. I think it's a journey and there's no like thermometer. There's no way to sort of measure it. It's very subjective. And it like goes, you know, there's like all these different paths to get there. I for sure am going to say happiness muscle all the time. (laughs) There's there's not a chance. I'm not going to use that one. And you can use it anytime. (laughs) I'm going to use it and I'm going to say, says by Ferris right (laughs) underneath it. I'm not going to steal it. But I think that why, I mean, there's so many things that I want to circle back on. And I think before I get to the happiness muscle and how we don't teach that in general, the fourth stage, the, the process, right? Like being in the process. Now, this is all Anisha and I do all day is being in the process. How, like when you were talking about it, how to really translate that i mean for us when we use language it's one thing to be able to translate that into like a way and like talk about it but like in the physical body i know that um like if you came with no history of sports or Mm. um movement or like where do you how do you help somebody really get into that mindset i think is I, i i don't know many people who are that who don't move, but I do know that there are people who don't move and then would end up in like, where, like, how would we, how do we translate that? Yeah, I think I love that. So I want to talk more about it. Yeah. So discussion and having dialogue with my patient is the number one thing I make sure I talk to them, what their goals are. And then I always try to redirect them. Like whenever we're in therapy, if, if, um, you know, they're showing frustration or really upset about trying to do something that they're not able to do in the moment, I always try to redirect them and just try to let them know and sort of view and see everything they were able to overcome in the past couple months or as long as I've been working with them, just to get them thinking about some of the things that they were able to achieve. I think when they're not able to do something in the moment, they are sort of thinking about how they were in the past 
and that normal self that they're so so miss they're missing so much that they're just having a hard time appreciating all the small gains that they've made along the way and i think that's the most important thing because no matter what we achieve if we don't stop and sort of appreciate the little things along the way then nothing we ever achieve will ever be enough and i truly believe that so i think it's a very challenging thing to do and i ask patients to sometimes write things down and think about things that they have achieved with me since we started their therapy obviously we're talking physical therapy but again i think the messages and the, the four things i talk about transcend physical therapy rehab and are really applicable to our daily mindsets and our daily struggles that we all are facing we all have problems we all have things that we're trying to battle and overcome it's just that it's not always an easy thing to do and how to sort of pivot and i think framing what we're going through is an important part uh, gratitude being the number one thing that I sort of highlight in in my book as well. I think if we're able to express gratitude along the along our journeys, I think that'll sort of get our mindsets in the right framework as well. You know, as I listen to you, I think about my clients and just trying to help them see the small wins. But I think sometimes yeah. when you're in pain, it's hard mm. for you to see that. You want the big change to happen. When the big change doesn't happen, you know, it kind of makes you, you know, fall into this kind of depressed place. So when we were coming to to do this tonight, I'm in physical therapy. I've been in physical therapy for many years um, and I deal with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And I think about how me dealing with that chronic pain, others can't see it. So maybe your clients are very different, right? Because people are able kind of to see, you know, what they're going through. But for me, no one knows that I have a bad back. They don't know I have a bad knee, I have a bad foot. Like I did, they have no idea. And so I'm in constant pain every day. And I know how that impacts, you know, my mental health. And so when you talk about happiness, I think about how it's the choice for me. I have to choose happiness every day because I could easily fall into the fact that I wake up in pain, but I have to choose happiness. And I kind of have to push through that and see the small wins. Like maybe today my knee doesn't hurt and I'm able to work out and have a full workout. And I could be really happy about that. Um, As I was listening to you, I was thinking about kind of those was there any patience that you had where you were able to really see those kind of four characteristics like throughout the um, journey that you had with them? Yeah, absolutely. And just to echo what you just said, Anisha, I think I really like how you said happiness is a choice every single day. It's not something where you make one decision, you're happy, and then it's over. <laughs> it's a constant daily struggle. And um, I think as we feed our happiness muscle, we can get closer to where we want to be more consistently because at the end of the day, I think consistency is the most important thing. But yeah, I had a patient, uh, one of the patients that sticks out, I talk a little bit about in my book is this gentleman lost his leg due to diabetes and vascular disease. He lost his leg below his knee. And when you lose a leg below the knee versus above the knee is a pretty big difference. Below the knee is much, much more favorable in terms of being able to be more functionally and independent. So this gentleman, when I first met him, he was an inpatient and he was, he had a surgery. He went to inpatient and again, I'm an outpatient. So I run the amputee program um, support group. So when I first met him, he was not a patient of mine. He was in our support group, him and his wife came. And when I first met him, he maybe said one, two words the whole time. And then his posture was just very forward flexed, his head was down, didn't make eye contact with any, eye contact with anybody. So that was my initial impression of this gentleman. And then he came to outpatient, I evaluated him, talked a little bit more. 
He did not have his leg yet because he was still healing. And then he consistently still went to the support group. He was engaged. His wife was the catalyst and the main reason for that initially. But then he got his leg. He started being able to walk with a walker. And then he walked with a cane. And then he ended up walking into and out of therapy with just the cane. And he was so happy. His whole demeanor changed. He was interacting with other people in the gym. And then in the support group, um, one of the things I talk about is one of the things I do is have someone, um, I'll go around the room, just have people just share anything they've accomplished over you know, the past month since the last time we met. And this guy would not shut up for probably 25, 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so his whole sort of demeanor changed. And he went from being very reserved, very apathetic into this jovial sort of um, very happy person over a span of probably two or three months once he was able to move a little bit better. And again, he was able to come back to the group, talk to other people, engage with other people. And I think that's one of the biggest things that helped him as well. So that patient always jumps out of me and I talk a little bit about him in the book. I love the story. And I was just going to ask if we were going to be able to read more about him in the book. So I'm glad to know that he's highlighted. Faris, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that happiness muscle that Diana is so interested in. <laughs> well, I'm super interested in it for multiple reasons. I like the language and, and in yoga, we're all about opening the heart and being full. So like the happiness muscle make just like, it's such an unbelievable way to describe it. So please. Yeah, I, I love the, the analogy of it just because like I sort of alluded to earlier, when we think about muscles, there's a lot that goes into it and just like happiness. So one of the things that I sort of, the framework of happiness that I discuss is by the work of uh, Dr. Lori Santos. She's a psychology professor at Yale University. And she really talked about how, you know, we have happiness all wrong. We are sort of pursuing happiness in, in all these wrong ways by trying to acquire, you know, material things and getting as many likes as possible with social media. But that's not really what happiness is all about. And she, she argues and talks about how happiness, unfortunately, our minds trick us into believing that happiness is those things when in fact they're not. The things that we sort of sacrificed the most is what happiness is all about building connections with other people, being grateful for things that we do have, shifting our perspectives in that regard. You know, in her work, she really highlights how happiness is something that I sort of alluded to earlier in terms of being a, you know, a journey and not a destination. So when we think about happiness, it's really, really important to make sure that we are looking at happiness in the framework of what we really individually are looking at for happiness and not what other people want us to be happy for and about. So being true to who you are and trying to highlight those things is the number one thing. So the reason I really like the happiness muscle analogy is just because it's just a lot that goes into it. It's not just one single decision that we sort of talked about before. And it stretches and it grows, which is what I like about muscles. And I just did a, I did a quick Google search over here of Dr. Lori. I'm, I'm going to be following checking her out. She's too. great. She has her, yeah, she has a podcast as well. Um, and she, the course, I'm going to like her on Instagram, even though that's not going to be what makes her happy. I'm going to follow her on Instagram and like her <laughs> so that I can know it's, what she's she, up to. She's great. She's really great. And her, um, she started the class in Yale, I think 2018 or 17. There was only supposed to be like 30 or 40 people. It ended up being like 300 people. And now they even offer the course on Coursera for free. Sure, for free. Yeah. 
for yeah, free. Yeah, I ran into it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I, well, it's great. so interesting that a course that a course on happiness, right, is only supposed to have like thirty and forty. But we're so curious, and we have such a miss. She's right. We have a misconception of the reach for happiness mm-hmm. and what it real like. We're reaching outside of ourselves when it's really internal, and for her to be able to frame that in a way. For the masses, right? Yes. Like again, it's what it's what we do on the one to one, but like on a larger scale that like we are reaching. I was just thinking and this is gonna be a segue into uh, your group. I was in a group for years and one of I remember one of the group members would say, But I'm I'm not happy and then she'd be like, But I'm not happy today. Like it was mm. like it was the first time and I was much younger, but like realizing like it's not a consistent it doesn't have to be a consistent state, but something that we can get back to and that like it's there and it ebbs and flows and there's more to it. So just what I was thinking, but then I wanted to talk about your group yes. and the happiness muscle and how that in your group, how you see um, the interactions between your patients. Because I think that that dynamic is super powerful. And you started that group where you work, correct? Yes, absolutely. So I couldn't agree more. And I don't think it's so much about the group itself. Like obviously people are interacting with each other and talking to each other. But I think, you know, when someone is, oftentimes we think we're alone. And as soon as people see other people are going through similar experiences, a, that when they're hearing it from other people who have gone through the same experiences, it holds a little bit more weight. So that's one thing. But I think one thing that I've noticed the most are like the transferable components and pieces. So when people see, it might not be in the moment, but when people see others doing things in the support group that they never thought that they would be able to do, or it gives them just a little bit more confidence they might be more willing to do something outside of the group. So like the transferable piece, I think is a really, really important and powerful one. And I see that all the time. People who come to the group, very reserved. I know I talked about that one patient, but I see it all the time who are very reserved when I first meet them. And then they just sort of open up and they start interacting more. And I think that's such a powerful sort of, thing and dynamic for my patients specifically to be experiencing because it just helps them in their physical recovery as well. And again, I think it's a mindset. Happiness is a mindset. The happiest patients that I have are not the people who are recovering hundred percent and getting back to this idea of normal that they once had. One individual I interviewed for my book was Eric Legrand. He had suffered a spinal cord injury and he's paralyzed from his head, from his neck down. And he's, when he comes into the room in his wheelchair, he is the happiest person I think I've ever met. So it's not always the people who are recovering 100%. It's a mindset. And um, I think when you're around other people, I think that's really, really a powerful thing to be able to do because oftentimes it's easy to give up on ourselves. And sometimes we just need that little push from others to lift us up a little bit so we can take that next step. So this book, the interesting thing is you started writing this book in January. It's coming out in December, but then COVID hit. So yes. talk to us about um, that process and if anything changed for you or did it um, accelerate maybe? So I start, like I said, I started the journey of writing my book in January. I initially wrote things down early in my career. I alluded to this just because I was really like emotionally exhausted from interacting with my patients. So it helped, it was cathartic for me getting things down on paper. 
fast forward seven years, I met one of my patients. She was a young girl. She had just graduated from Georgetown University. She ended up suffering a stroke. It's called an AVM. And I won't get into the science behind it, but she had a stroke and she, one of her professors runs this program to help people sort of write books. She ended up going through the process of writing a book about her experiences as well. So the program is a very structured program. I started in January. I will be publishing in December. So it's about a year long. But to answer your question, I think honestly, COVID personally helped me because I couldn't do anything else. Um, in one aspect, it helped me and facilitated me writing things down. And I not, I'm not, don't consider myself to be very creative, but writing a book was very, very, probably the most creative thing I've done. I never thought in a million years. So when I was telling my patient about me, you know, my journey of journaling and writing things down, she's like, why don't you just write a book? You enjoyed writing. I was like, I can't write a book. I don't, it's not possible. So it's just interesting looking back now, like I got into a field, a profession to help other people, but never in a million years would I think my patients who I treat would be helping me so much more than, you know, I could ever be helping them. And then treating this patient population has made such a profound impact on my life and the lens at which I sort of view things in my daily life. But COVID, I think, helped me a little bit in writing the book. And, you know, it, it, I speak a little bit to it in terms of like how it, affected me personally, professionally as well. Like I'm treating patients wearing a mask and goggles. And one of the things I talk about in my book is the power of human connection. And I think eye contact and seeing people's faces is such an integral part of that. Not being able to see my patients' faces and like just, I really honestly believe that when you're looking with someone, you're engaging with someone, um, you're making eye to eye contact. That is such a powerful thing that it's missing in my treatments right now, as best as I can, like even just a simple smile, I think goes a long way with my patients. Mm. So those little things I'm not able to do right now. And one of the, one of the therapists came into the gym the other day, she forgot her mask and I haven't seen her face in a couple months. It was just so weird to see her face. So it's, it's, I feel like it's been a little bit of both. It's helped me in my journey of writing my book, but it's, it's definitely psychologically has impacted me in personal ways, which I talk about in the book as well. So thank you for that, Paris. I, you know, I was thinking that once COVID hit, I'm thinking most of your clients, they would probably be able to bring like a family member with them to therapy. And now they would have to come on their own. Did you see any changes in their mindset when, you know, COVID hit? And so how did that kind of um, impact the way that they viewed their treatment at that point? Yeah, absolutely. I'm even just, we had to do a lot of telehealth initially too, like going over the, over the mm-hmm. computer. So that was definitely one pivot that we had to do as a profession. And personally, something I had to really learn and adapt quickly and being able to provide therapy over the computer was a, it was a challenge, but um, I think it definitely <laughs> has its place and a platform that's going to be used moving forward. I don't think it's appropriate for everyone, but to your, to answer your question, yeah, individuals, I talked a little bit about how important the support system is. And my patients now, their family members, their caregivers are not allowed to be into, not allowed to come into therapy with them. So oftentimes when I'm treating them, I can tell that my patients wish that their family members were at least in the building or present or in the waiting room. So that's definitely been a challenge. And then I'm often spending times calling patients, family members about how the session went. 
educating them if I need to educate them on like a home exercise program or just educating them about anything that we went over during their session. So I think it's affected my patients psychologically um, and I've seen it, but uh, it's something that, you know, I try to bridge the gap as closely as I can. I'll bring patients outside to their family members all the way out where they're waiting for them and have a quick little discussion with them if I can. So it's something that we're, as a profession, physical therapy started over a hundred years ago and we're actually coming up on the hundred year anniversary. And, you know, it started during World War One, World War Two, and we've constantly adapted and grown. And I feel like currently right now we're in one of those sort of major seismic shifts in the profession where COVID has just sort of blindsided us. But I, I know a lot of the stuff that we're going through now is only going to make our profession stronger. And I feel like I've grown as a clinician and something that it's not always easy, but I feel like that's when you grow the most, whether it's professionally and personally, when you're going through such traumas and sort of seeking out happiness on the other side. Wow. That was, I, I'm, I'm sitting, taking it all in. Uh, <laughs> It was, yes, all of those things, the growth comes in most of the time in the most difficult places and just how thoughtful you, uh, in the, you are being in regard to the patient and the patient experience. And I was thinking as you were talking that like so much of that, when you are working with the patient and working with the family is done in real time so that the patient's caregiver or family member, whoever is going to help them when they get home can also see like more physically, like where the patient can go, like right. where their person can really go and like have, and also the extra time that it's going to take for you to connect with the family member and the work that you're putting in to make sure that this is as seamless, I guess, as it can possibly be. And yes. you wrote a book all at the same time. <laughs> this is very impressive. Um, <laughs> I want to know, so tell us exactly, the book is being published in December. We want to know more, the exact name of the book. We said it yes. at the very beginning when yep. we had the intro, intro that Anisha and I taped earlier. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. So the name of the book is The Happiness Perspective, Learning to Reframe Our Physical Trauma into Hope, Connection, and Happiness. Like I said, I started the journey in January I actually am submitting, I've, I'm in the process of revisions right now with my marketing and revisions editor. And then I actually, this Thursday coming up, I will be submitting my final manuscript to copy editing, mm -hmm. at which point they will take a look at it for about five days. They'll send it back. I'll have one last chance to revise everything. The past couple of weeks, I've been going through my own revisions, getting feedback every week, doing all like my citations and all that. So it's, it's been a long all journey. All the things. All those things. Um, so I submit All everything. All the things. This is very structured. It comes back and forth. You know the exact number of days it's going to come back. It is, it. which is which has been helpful. And then, um, so yeah, December will be the launch date. And I'm hoping see what happens with COVID. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be able to actually happen. But I was hoping to have like a little bit of a book launch. So we'll see how we do with that. But we're going to have to wait and see. But December is the publication sort of date and when it will be available. Outside with heat lamps and hot chocolate. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Yeah, totally, totally. Get your heat lamp now, though, because I, I think they're probably be sold a, out. Or exactly yes. <laughs> a run on heat lamps, a run on heat lamps. Um, it's amazing. So, where can people find you, Ferris? Just going back to the book. If you just go to www.thehappinessperspective.com, 
you can sign up for a newsletter that I just started the website. So it's a work in progress, but there's a video of my book on there in terms of like what it's all about. So you can get a little more insight into that. And, and then, it's pretty cute. So you should go look at it. I love the video. <laughs> it's very, very cute. Yeah. And I just lost my train of thought. So That's because like, I said yeah. you were cute. It's okay. <laughs> um, and then on Instagram, uh, Faris, my first name. Uh, 2986 is my handle. So you can just follow me there. And I'm hoping to start my own podcast down the line once I actually get the book, the book published and then continue. I did some Instagram lives. I really enjoy just connecting with people and trying to figure out what drives people in terms of their happiness. So if you just follow me on there, I will be posting some updates along um, in terms of my book over the next couple of months. And yeah, I would say Instagram is probably the best way to connect with me. Okay. And we're going to talk about it again and again, right, Anisha? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and then, you know, we have a personal friend of yours that keeps us organized. So I'm sure that Jessica will make sure that it's like in the show notes and that um, it pops up every so often. Um, we'll play, we'll, you know, we'll drop the podcast. Maybe we'll drop it again. We'll talk Sounds about good. it. I'll definitely keep you guys posted on everything. And I really appreciate you asking me to be on here and just talking about my journey so far. And hopefully um, it helps others as well, sort of in their pursuit of happiness. Well, yes. I think one of the things like you, we are in one-on-one professions, right? And then when you do something like write a book, you get to like, we, one of the things that we say at the beginning of the podcast is that we want to touch as many souls as possible with this content mm. so that we can get information out into the world that helps people just even if it just like makes you think a little bit different and now you have a book that is going to do you're going to be able to touch more people in a bigger way so it's great i love it thank you thank you um so we're at the end of the show yeah and this is where we have our last hurrah Uh i've renamed it anisha (laughs) we're gonna there's it we need we need a we need a little something in here (laughs) So today, this week, the working title of the end of our show is The Last Hurrah. We have another one that we'll throw out next week, but Last Hurrah. And I'll, I'll get into where it came from. But this is the, la- the Last Hurrah. Okay. So I have two questions for you. Okay. How have you been kind today? Ooh, how have I been kind today? <laughs> um, that is a great question. And I think... You know, we over, I think we overthink things and I think kindness is something that is something that could be very, very small. And I, I think the smallest acts of kindness go the biggest way. So I think, um, one thing that I just loaded to what I talked about a little bit earlier is just taking the extra, extra step to walk my patients out to their family members and have the conversation about how their therapy went I think is something that speaks volumes to making sure I'm trying to do everything in my power to make sure my patients are having an exceptional patient experience in their um, as they're trying to overcome these life changing things that they're going through of that. And so this one is fun. Okay. So oh, if you have too. to sing karaoke, Oof. so if you have to sing karaoke, what song do you pick? And you have to sing karaoke. Notice you the have language. To. It's not like an there, option. It's not so like, you, so you I'm going to go to the bar and get a drink. Like, <laughs> we're not that's not, we're not, that's we'll sing karaoke on a different episode. Oh, we're not, we're not singing karaoke. Uh, okay, I, <laughs> I want to know karaoke. what the song is that you would Like pick. what song would you pick if you had to sing? 
Um, let's see. Wow. Is it, it's going to be kind of cliche, but I'm going to say happy, happy, <laughs> happy. Isn't, doesn't Pharrell, doesn't yeah, Pharrell bro, sing it? We'll take it. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with happy. Okay. I'm going to go with happy. Okay, good. I like, I, I, that was good. A little shout out to and when you do shout out to Barris. Go ahead. When you do finally have your book signing, maybe you should play happy as you walk I, in. That would be cool. I think, I think that's a great idea. I would like to ask you guys a question. Oh, sure. Oh, little turn of events. Okay. Yeah. How about that? So I would like to ask you guys, what is your definition of happiness? When I think about happiness, that every day, one of my self-care practices is I try to find joy. So in something, in anything, that's how I look at happiness. Nice. I love it. Way better. <laughs> It was so easy. Um, I okay. So my real answer is happiness is when I can when I can find peace when I can find internal peace and and be re- and feel um, whole. That's Love my it. real answer. There it is. So Faris, we just want to thank you so much for um, being with us tonight. So for you guys, listen. We normally do our podcast on Fridays at like eleven a.m. It is. Uh, Tuesday night at six. So Faris, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And looking forward to collaborating with you guys in the future if the opportunity presents itself. And uh, I'll definitely guys keep you posted and I'll be sort of keeping track of you guys as well with your podcast. Oh, we appreciate that. Thank you so much, Faris. Thank you guys. Um, Okay. So Anisha. Yeah. Still in a pandemic, girl. Here we go. Do it. Stay safe. Wash your hands. And wear your damn mask. Just wear the damn mask. Okay, we're going to stop here and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Be Real podcast. Stay connected to us and subscribe to Be Real wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are feeling it, how about a five-star review? If our conversation sparked a question, join us in the Be Real podcast Facebook group. We hope that you have walked away with some new insights, curiosities, and ideas to better help you on your journey to mental wellness and overall well-being. I encourage you to go to BeWellPsychotherapy.com and check out our services and programs. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com. Okay, we have to stop here, but I'll see you next week.